The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day. Back there, little rumple stomp wow. and uh, fix. It just it just came to me, and it, it, it'll make sense. It was an inspired call. I, yeah. I, I, I gotta <laughs> say, and you know, I'm I'm amazed that it all came back to me. Every lyric of that song, and that's like, funny. Boom! Yeah, With all that the stuff swirling around in I your know, head. The, the go- fix yeah. you were able to pluck uh, it out of yeah. the tr- beneath all the <laughs> damage. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, that was the uh, that was the fix doing one thing leads from to another uh, from their 1983 album Reach the Beach. Uh, that was their 15 minutes, no doubt. They were mm-hmm. all over the place back then. Uh, it was the band's second studio album. The song was a number four hit on the Billboard Hot 100, making it easily the most successful fix uh, single release. Mm-hmm. And uh, very interestingly, according to the band. The song is an indictment, or was an indictment, of dishonest politicians. Uh, interesting. Which, yeah. 
I guess you that know, would always get some airplay, huh? Yeah, there's a couple of lines in there that are that are blatant references. You know, somebody's been lying to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, that's very 1980s. There was a lot of lot of intrigue and whatnot going on at the time. But yeah. but yeah, lyrically, it serves a purpose, serves our purpose for what we're uh, getting into today. Indeed, it does. That's kind of why it, it was rattling around in my head. Yeah. Um, today's main topic, uh, kind of, sort of, is all about what I'm calling woke terrorism, <laughs> in particular <laughs> with, with kids serving on the front lines. Yikes. And the latest attacks by the morally superior right. include what I'm calling, and put this in quotes, flashbang acts of eco-terrorism at the expense of works of art, or in some cases, acts of just outright violence, to garner the spotlight on whatever their agenda is at the moment. Yeah. And it's, you know, it started with recently malcontents getting tackled during sporting events with little smoke grenades, you know, behind them. Right. Desecration of famous works of art, uh, firebombing and, and, and desecration of, of pro-life offices. Okay. And this is just the first wave of this, I'm afraid, and, unless society nips it in the bud. Well, it's, it's, I think it's more the latest wave, and it's mm-hmm. kind of disturbing to me because his uh, protest has a long and storied history of, of affecting change. You know, you want to talk about, you know, protests that, that made a difference. I mean, this very country was founded on protest, the Boston Tea Party. You know, you think of things like the Montgomery bus boycott, the civil rights marches, uh, the Vietnam War protests, mm-hmm. Tiananmen Square. You know, we go through all of these things you know, the salt march of the 1930s that made Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. And now we've got people gluing themselves to things. What the right. fuck is up with this? And if you think about it, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head. Speaking of like famous protests, all of this is also going on against the backdrop of the continuing, never ending January 6th hearings. Okay. Uh, which, you know, despite how you feel about it, you know, it, it draws in the sharp focus that at one point, like you mentioned, this country being founded on, on protest. Literally. But now we protest against the government. Well, I guess it depends who protests against the government. <laughs> you know, they're throwing these guys away and, and, and locking them up, throwing away the key, mm. you know, basically. Yeah. And it's dragging on way too long. Just, just end it already. Yeah. But again, that's kind of a, a topic for another day because what I found alarming, and I kept coming back to the example of the artful dodger in Oliver Twist. Okay. And the fact that a lot of these um, causes, okay, in particular, what's the biggie, the Just Stop Oil? Yeah. That was what was behind these knuckleheads gluing themselves to the Van Gogh uh, uh, sunflowers Mm -hmm. uh, in London. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you look at what they're protesting and, and what their aims are, it's all well and good and it's easy to get behind, but... Again, there's a disconnect here. I'm not seeing the connection between the action and right. the mission. And we should say that, you know, primarily, especially this particular contingent of Just Stop Oil, yeah. A, is founded by the heiress of the Getty fortune. Really? Talk about irony. Mm. And B, right now, it's really occurring uh, hot and heavy over in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Hasn't really come over here yet. Like, this particular facet has not come over here yet. And again, they're using kids, by and large to carry out these flashbang acts of, of, of terrorism. Right. And you could argue that, well, you know, they're gluing themselves to stuff just to kind of, you know, get the optics and make a point. And uh, you had mentioned off camera in an interview, one of them said, well, we really didn't damage the artwork. And, but that's only because the museums are now taking action to protect these sure. works of art, you yeah. know. And that's not really the point. I yeah. mean, even if you did damage, damage the, the, the artwork, and, you know, just to add to this, apparently mm-hmm. protesters smeared cake on the Mona Lisa at the yep. Louvre in Paris. Yes, they did. Uh, in Australia, two protesters glued their hands to a Picasso. Mm-hmm. Again, you're gluing yourself to shit? Right. What? I, I don't get it. There's, there's a separation here. You right. know, you protest, you know, ideally it's going to make people that observe your protest sympathetic to your cause. Mm-hmm. As far as I can see, this just makes the protesters look stupid. Right. And there is a super fine line between protesting and uh, I'm almost hesitant to use the word terrorism, almost, but it's more like you know protesting versus just outright crime or vandalism. Yeah. Because they're not... You, know, you, you, you can't draw sympathy when you're not winning people over to your side. Okay, So right. destroying 
art, which to some is the pinnacle of human achievement. It's something yeah. only human beings can do. Yeah. And yes, these are all famous works of art. Yeah. Why would you destroy something as benign and beautiful as a creation that everybody can enjoy in order to prove your, your point and garner sympathy? That just doesn't yeah, make I, sense. I, I get the whole drawing attention to yourself thing, but mm -hmm. drawing, to yourself, drawing attention to yourself in this manner, again, just makes you look foolish. And I don't see the connection between destroying or harming or, or miming destroying or harming mm -hmm. works of art with whatever the hell it is your problem is with big oil. I mean, I, yeah, I get it. You know, uh, I guess with, uh, with these kids in London, it was how the fossil fuel industry and, and the adherence over there to you know, oil has made life very, very difficult for the rank and file. I get that. But how does that connect to destroying a Van Gogh? I, I don't understand right. that. And, and the simple truth, my friend, is that it doesn't. Yeah. And another point you had made to me before we went to air was you know, how these things are so rapid fire. It's like they want to weigh down the scale with all these little acts of, of attention getting that they're doing rather than one well thought out yeah. presentation a la a large scale March or yeah. demonstration. Well, that was another idea I had. Put a little more thought into it, would you? Yeah. You know, you look at these things like, again, the Boston Tea Party. I mean, this was not a small protest. These guys dumped 92,000 pounds of tea into Boston Harbor. Yep. You know, I mean, the whole dressing yourselves as Native Americans was pretty stupid. But, I mean, <laughs> obviously, you know, there was some thought and some planning. You know, And there's also this. an element of risk because yeah. these were grown-ass men, okay? Yep. And this is not, look, I'm not trying to justify it or make anything look better than anything else. Sure. But these were men taking matters into their own hands and plotting this. And like I said, in a lot of cases, what disturbs me is that they're indoctrinating literally children to carry out these acts because they know the penalties will be so slight. Yeah, well, I, I think there's, there's another point that you made, is the, the risk involved. You know, you look at the salt marches in 1930 that, you know, were part and parcel to what Gandhi was all about, mm -hmm. you know, with civil disobedience. He was risking a lot. Right. You know, very, very much. The Montgomery bus boycott and what was going on down in the South in the Excellent 1960s. example. These guys were risking getting shot, right. getting killed by And these you look at the footage, you know, the dogs and the fire hoses. These people were risking everything to go yes, out there and make their point, and in a peaceful manner, no less, exposing yeah. themselves to this. You don't see that that depth of character with any of these protesters. Well, it's like if, they're more concerned with their hits on YouTube. Well, again, going back to the Montgomery boy, bus boycotts, when you saw these things, it prompted people to action. Mm -hmm. You know, you looked at this and you were like, my God, this is so not right. Bingo. You know, I'm, I, I gotta do something. It made you want to get up and go exactly. do something. And I'm sorry, but gluing your, gluing your hand to a wall... Yeah, just makes me think you're an idiot. It's going to make you late for dinner, and that's supposed to make us you know, scurry over to your yeah, cause. Yeah. And the other thing that concerns me is that with all of these things now, especially if they don't start garnering the reaction that they would like, which they're not. Okay. Mm. There's a there's the aspect of escalation. Yeah. So also one thing leads to another. There's Great Britain. Our point with yep. the gym. Yeah. Now, yeah, exactly. And and last week there was um, another protest they had organized in the United Kingdom. And a couple guys shimmied up like a, a power pylon tower to hang that Just Stop Oil banner. Okay. And in doing so, they had to block traffic on a major thoroughfare. Oh, God. So now as the traffic is piling up, there was a you know, minor accident. The car got pushed off to the side. And as two independent Good Samaritans went to assist this traveler, yep. they got hit by oncoming traffic, which is now coming out of uh, this blockage, okay? Yeah. Hits the brakes too late, doesn't see everything because, you know, like, what's going on here? Both Samaritans killed. Unintended consequences. Right, and the police say flat out in their interview that, well, you know, look, if, if this protest wasn't going on, these people would never have been put in harm's way. Yeah, okay? well, that's one of the big issues I have with these protesters bombing these pro-life clinics. Mm -hmm. Like, I... I understand where you're coming from. I'm not particularly fond of the pro-life crew. I know these clinics are deceptive in the way they set them up, but the, the sad fact of the matter is when you start bombing, mm -hmm. you're going to kill somebody. It's, right. it's going to happen. It's not an if, it's a when. And you do that, you completely undermine everything that you're trying to accomplish. Right. Everything. And right. you are sh certainly not garnering sympathy. As a matter of fact, people are going to get pissed. And, you know, yep. it's, it's, it's completely self-defeating. Now, to somebody like myself, who is well-documented as being against any <laughs> type of protest whatsoever, 
It's just not not my cup of tea. Right. Okay. Right. I, I think you could do more with a little more forethought, working behind the scenes to affect yeah. change, and he can run through the streets. They were decently treated. They were decently fed. And then they were decently shot. However, <laughs> what bothers me, like I said, is the use of these kids. Because my motto with any of these, these protests, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's you know, over taxation, and, uh, you know, the, the, the pro-life. It, look, once it starts getting rowdy and shit's getting thrown, Molotov cocktails and all that, yeah. my thing is just, just fire into the crowd. You want to disperse the crowd, you fire into it. And it may be draconian, you know, but look, it worked at the Boston Massacre, didn't it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> see, that's exactly what I'm talking about as far as the reaction you're not trying to solicit. Right. You know, I, and I do say that tongue in cheek, folks. I'm not that <laughs> evil, because I, another excellent example would would be the massacre at Kent State. Yeah, it got out of control. Yes, it did. You know, did it need to be ratcheted up to that volume? Absolutely not. Yeah, you know, and and it, it's funny because it did so mirror the uh, the shot heard around the world mm -hmm. in that circumstance. An unruly crowd, scared soldiers. One thing led to another. Next thing you know, you have people firing into the crowd, people dying. You know, that is the worst case scenario. And, you know, you talk about using these kids, and I, and I understand, and I, I remember, even though it was a million years ago being a kid, and you don't have a, a real good grasp of the potential consequences of your actions. Mm. You know, and hopefully that's where the adults step in and say, hey, th it could potentially go to this, could potentially go to that. We've got to be careful about this. We've got to be careful about that. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, you know, these... these uh, vandalism and, and defacing of these pro-life clinics and whatnot. Again, I don't like these people either, and I, I completely understand what you're trying to accomplish. But do you have any idea what could possibly happen? Right. You know, and and therein lies the problem that I have with these things. Is you got to come up with ideas. Like I said, you know, the history of protest is a long and storied one. But if you th think it out, if you plan it out, you basically arm yourself against these potential consequences that are going to completely undermine what you're doing. I mean, you think about like what went on, you know, the summer of the George Floyd thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really do think that a lot of the violence that erupted um, during these protests didn't really have anything to do with the people that were there during the day, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, these were not. people, you know, just to... It wasn't the bridge and tunnel crowd. No, <laughs> no. And, and just to cite a movie that you and I love to, to go back to, quotes the first Christopher Nolan Batman film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. there are some people out there that just want to see the world burn. Yep. You know, and you leave yourself open to being taken advantage of by those people. Mm -hmm. And they're out there. You know, it, these days it seems like everybody's frustrated. Everybody's angry. You know, all this talk about, you know, recessions and, and you know, all the fear that's, that's in the, the, the national discourse and what's going on in the Ukraine and whatnot. You know, you're, you're conducting your protest with all of these things in the mix. Mm. And you got to keep this in mind. You know, and if you think it, think it through, you can use these things to your advantage. But, you know, in the short run, gluing yourself to something looks stupid in relative to everything else that's going on. Right. It just looks really dumb. And then, you know, on the extreme, blowing up clinics, mm -hmm. that looks like you're adding to the worst possible element to what's going on these right. days. And again, you're not going to win anybody over doing that. And that's that. the thing. In, in both cases, whether, you know, just benign slash comical or extreme, you wind up just lining people up against you. Yeah. And in the case of the you know benign or comic ones, people just lose respect, which is even worse. Yeah. For whatever your your cause is, and it, it becomes dismissive. Yeah. And it's just going to make them matter. I mean, all these things. It's like a self fulfilling prophecy. So what you generally would hope, especially because a lot of these things tend to percolate in our centers of academia. They do indeed. At least back in the days of yore, my, when I was young, and another wood carving right there. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, these classic protests, whether it's anti-nukes or government intervention or even back then, abortion, mm -hmm. these things would slowly percolate on college campuses. Yeah. And they were organized, and they would meet and, and discuss and debate these things, and then eventually, in an organized fashion, again, in most cases, take to the streets and make their voice heard. Yeah. And they were shown on the evening news, and these things became popular because of that, and they were still following the same basic passive resistance blueprint you mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. made famous by Gandhi. 
Yeah, you look at the guys that, that accomplished the most via protest, guys like Gandhi, guys like Dr. Martin Luther King, guys like Nelson Mandela. They did it in a nonviolent way. Right. You know, and it cost them pounds and pounds and oh, pounds yeah. of flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, and they got beaten and they got jailed and they got all these things. But, you know, those are the sacrifices that you make when you commit yourself to the mission. Right. You rebel scum. And that's why even though all of these gentlemen have since passed... Um, their causes are all still very much alive, and they are respected in the halls of, of power to yes. this day. Yes. So it's like almost like mission accomplished. Yeah, the sacrifices were tremendous, but they did it the right way. Oh, yeah. Well, you think about the number of people that Dr. Martin Luther King scared the living shit out oh, of. Yes. You know, and he, <laughs> he wasn't advocating hurting people. Mm-hmm. He wasn't advocating blowing anything up. Right. You know, but he still caught the attention of the powers that be. Christ, they bugged the shit out of this guy. Yep. You, know, they, you know, J. Edgar Hoover had a file on this guy you know, that could fill a room. Mm-hmm. You know, so mid- he went from being you know, demonized, throw that in air quotes, as a, as a quote-unquote uppity black to having a national holiday yeah. named after him. You yeah. know, with a message that across the spectrum included all forms of advertising and, and social media, it's, it's entrenched in the, uh, the fabric of America. Message! In a relatively short period of time. Yeah. You know, our, our lifespans, basically. Yeah. But when you think about it, yeah, the man rose to prominence in, I think it was 19, I want to say 62 or 63, when the Montgomery bus boycott took place. Mm-hmm. The man was assassinated in 68. Right. You know, that was a span of barely six years. And look at the impact yeah. that he had. And it's like people say that there's no... This is anachronism. Uh, no good wars anymore. Right. Well, look, maybe, maybe along those lines, there's no good fights to fight any, any, anymore. And this is what they're grasping at. I, I, I don't know. One wonders. I don't purport to have any answers to this. However, I will say, and I can't say strong enough, the reason why we're talking about this today, I want them to leave the kids out of it. Yeah. And he's to stop. And they need to follow the money. Like I said, it's already well known that this Getty Harris is, is funding this just stop oil nonsense. Yeah. And I'm not going to go full-blown Fox News and say, it's because of Soros. <laughs> He's buying the whole thing. You know, the Antichrist. Or Antifa. Antifa's right. in the bushes and the trees. Right. Back out. Oh, yeah, I forgot. You don't believe they exist. But no, anyway. Uh, yeah. You big dummy. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you know, you need to be, like I said, you need to work behind the scenes. Oh, you need yeah. to do your due diligence and either... Find out the proper way to support your cause, or if it's that wrong and you're convinced that it's being carried about wrongly, you need to root out who's sponsoring this shit. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, something I learned back in, you know, the the, the dark ages of the 1990s, Oof. you know, when I was young and idealistic and I'd just gotten out of college. And you were probably so annoying. I, I <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't turn kind, it off. Kind of hard to deny that one. It truly is. It truly is. But one thing I will say I did learn, and if there's anything I could pass along to the younger activist generation, it would be this. And you touched on it, you know, just a few minutes ago yourself. Follow the money, kids. Hit them in the wallet. Yeah. You want to get their attention? Hit them in the wallet. Believe yeah. me, that works. And I, w- I was entertaining a, a funny thought to myself, imagining us both in the 90s, you know, <laughs> approximately the same age. Yeah. And, and you over there at, at USC, a hotbed of <laughs> social <laughs> change and whatnot. And, you know... Immersed in that culture and listening to like Bob Dylan, you know, and I would be the flip side of the coin up here, still at the Northeast, convinced and completely idealistic, listening to Billy Joel's Anger Young Man, because that pretty much sums me up to a T, always has, always will. Nice. And it's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll never change. And I'm idealistic and I rail against some stuff, but. I've never protested anything. I yeah. wouldn't take a day off of work to go run around in the streets and yell hooray yeah. for our side to quote CSN. You know, last time the last time I you know, I protested something, I went to a rally, blah blah blah, was during the the uh, Iran Iraq war in nineteen ninety. No, not Iran Iraq. It was when we invaded or actually we had to chase Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Right. The first Gulf War out of Kuwait. Right. Yeah. And I went to that uh, what was rally. your beef with that? It was at the State House. <laughs> Ron Kovic was there with his wheelchair. Uh, you were trying and to get laid. What was their name? <laughs> no, fortunately <laughs> enough, I already had that locked up. That didn't have a lot to do with it. But I'll be honest with you, man. I looked around, and I got a really like bad taste in my mouth. And the whole thing struck me as one giant cliche. 
Huh. You know, these people that were trying to relive the Vietnam protests of the 1960s mm-hmm. and, and were annoyed that they were born 20 years too late. Right. And it was like, you know, time to come up with something new. Yeah. Something different. Something that's a little bit more yours and a little bit more uh, personalized, for lack of a better word. Mm. And now you've got social media at your disposal to take advantage of. Yeah. Surely you can do better than gluing yourself to something. <laughs> God. Welcome to 2022. <laughs> Man. Where's Rod Serling? Uh, He's on in five. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. So that's our that's our, our shtick on that. And I hate to even use that word, but that's just, yeah, it, it, it's tough to take any of this stuff seriously. And it's also tough, truth be told, sure. not to get overly upset because, look, I was an art major in college. I'm an art lover. Yeah. And I think that it's like music. It's one of those few things that so many people from across the spectrum can look at it, share it, and enjoy it. Absolutely. And these little mealy-mouthed bastards are going <laughs> to like try and destroy this shit. As bad as the world oh, is, are you shitting me? Lord. God help us. And they're getting plenty of airplay in the news, so I guess monkeypox is on the wane, Perhaps, right? perhaps, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of gone by the wayside. So folks. let's cut it there. Let, let's peek with monkeypox. Oh, my God. And go right into middle our jam, middle jam. Save us. Middle save us. freaking jam, which I believe was one of yours that you yeah. dug deep and, and pulled out of the uh, the nether regions. Little little cautionary tale for you kids. Um, yeah, I, I, I was kind of thrilled because this is... This is uh, a, from a band that is soon going to go on the list uh, that now includes The Clash and James Addiction <laughs> and The Rolling Stones as... as, as uh, Not really, because they're very atmospheric. This That's is their saving true. grace. This is also true. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, this, it may be a long time before you hear another gem from, these, from this band, folks, so enjoy it while it lasts. Like I said, a little bit of a cautionary tale. This is a band called The Doors doing a song called Five to One. And I like the Doors. I'm going to go on the record as saying that, as well as your other <laughs> band's list. You say that now. Oh, boy. He's right, though, folks. Great tune. Sit back. Enjoy it. We'll be back to talk about it in just a minute or two. Stay tuned. Dude, come on. Love my girl. She looking good. Come on.
That. Yeah, it's very good doors tune, and in all honesty, folks, I did not know that that was the. I knew the song. Yeah, I didn't know that was the name of it, which makes me like everyone else out there that's ever requested a song to me when I played live. Yeah, this is a song. I don't know the name of it, <laughs> uh, and I don't know who sings it. So, in a, in a crowded room with two giant speakers next to my head, I'm like, "Could you almost <laughs> bar or two? <laughs> You know, I, I, that's, that's just the mystery of crowds because, I mean, he only says five to one is the very first lyric of the mm-hmm. song. I mean, hello. <laughs> Talk about beating people about the face and head with it. Yeah. You know? That's dealing so. with the public. So, yes, that was uh, from the doors. That was five to one. It was from their 68 album, Waiting for the Sun. Mm. And uh, it's funny because it was one of the most popular, one of the most controversial doors tunes given the time that it dropped. All right. Um, Morrison was always very adamant about not explaining what the lyrics to Doors songs were about. He preferred to let the public and the fans, you know, interpret it however they wanted to. So he never elaborated on where he came up with five to one, what that was in reference to or what the lyrics to the rest of the song were, even though it was a pretty blatant indictment of of hippiedom at the time and Mm -hmm. the panhandling thing. The only thing he would say, and it was cryptic as hell, was that he didn't consider the lyrics political. Which was funny because in 1968, if you know your history, <laughs> everything <laughs> was political. <laughs> so, you know, a nod to the, the legend that was Jim Morrison and the Doors. Shocking and yet predictable in their nonconformity. Indeed, indeed. So, anyway, yes, moving sir. right along. John, did you realize that this is our Halloween episode? I totally did not. I know. It's easy to listen Yeah, this is shit, probably going to air like, was it Friday? Well, no, or 28th, I think, or something. Something like that, yeah. 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 All so, right, then. Do we have anything Halloween ish I, I think we do. I think we do. But first, Uh-oh. based on a, a rant um, from earlier this week you were going off on that struck me, this time of the year, and you had a very good point, it seems like there's almost a pumpkin spice epidemic going on. Uh, spice. Oh, I pumpkin know where this spice is going. everywhere. <laughs> Everything is infused with pumpkin spice. Spice. However, <laughs> did you know spice that the vast majority of the pumpkin spice out there does not contain anything from a pumpkin? Spice. <laughs> I did not know that. We just did a pirouette, if you will, a pivot <laughs> from the pumpkin spice <laughs> epidemic. To the pumpkin spice conspiracy. Well, if this is a all about pumpkin spice. Maybe it's like a PSA, which some would say stands for pumpkin spice assholes. Indeed. Because they're out there. They are. With their yoga pants and they're Ugg boots everywhere. and scarf and they're Buddy Holly glasses. Everywhere. <laughs> well, uh, no, this came up and he, he, yeah. you nailed it because, yeah, I was ranting about this last week. I just, look. Well, it's funny, it does. It right around this time of the year, yeah. suddenly it's fucking everywhere. And growing up, I never liked pumpkin anything because pumpkins in and of themselves have no taste whatsoever. None, None at Mom all. Mom would make pumpkin pies, and I'm like, eh, no. It's like, it's like eating clay, basically. Yeah. And you know what? You don't question it. Right. You don't question it. It, it like, <laughs> occurred to me, this is a parallel. One of the first times I went overseas, um, I was in Spain in, in early 1985, and over the course of the meal, they served something called flan. Okay. Which was like a, a custard of some kind. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny because I turned to my host at the time and I was like, what is this? Right. And he looked at me like I had just asked a question you do <laughs> not ask. It was like, you don't inquire, you just accept. Right. And he said to me, flan is flan. It's just flan. You don't ask, it's flan. Look at you, the ugly yeah, American. Yeah, I know. It was like, whoops, <laughs> what have I done? Oh my God. 
you know, I was expecting the flan police to kick in the sure, door in the middle sure. of the night and haul my ass away, you know? Would you please pass the jelly? <laughs> yeah. And it kind of occurred to me that pumpkin spice is very similar in that respect. But if, if the actual spice per se, let's yeah. say, is, uh, I don't know, uh, the, the, the concoction or the flavor initiative that one gets when they flavor pumpkin items with... I don't know, a dash of cinnamon, yeah. perhaps some nutmeg, yeah. whatever. Well, that's exactly what it consists of. Then, then they should say it's, I don't know, autumn spice or Thanksgiving spice. Yeah. Why pumpkin? I don't know. You could say... Drywall was already taken? Yeah, I mean. you could say tire rubber, <laughs> and it would be just as accurate. You know? Doesn't have anything to do with it, but that's what we're calling and it. And not to mention the fact that, you know, there's no need to put this shit on everything. It's Seriously? not Frank's Red Hot. No! I mean, Do you really want pumpkin spice coffee? No. 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 Because no one puts cinnamon in their coffee and nobody puts nutmeg in their coffee. Has anybody you ever known <laughs> taken a great big bite out of a pumpkin and went, mmm, that's good? Nobody. Ever. So what is <laughs> pumpkin spice? I don't know. God. I don't know. And I love autumn. I love everything about autumn. Well, except pumpkin what's, spice. And what's coming afterwards. Right. Mm, but yeah. then again, see, this is this is what happens. Okay. Now there's a new contingent, which isn't nearly as annoying yet, but trust me, we'll get They're there. They're working on it, yeah. It's the peppermint people. Oh, Jesus. Peppermint is coming. Oh, Lord. Now, I happen to love me some peppermint. Yeah. It's my favorite candy variety. And looking at me, you can tell I, I know a thing or two about candy. I won't deny that. But yeah, candy right. cane on a, a nice, crisp, you know, winter's morning. And yeah. oh, it's amazing. You got to right. have peppermint. All right. But same thing. People put peppermint in coffee. What? Or peppermint the? mocha. And yeah, I'm not Seriously? sure that even works really. No. But. It's, uh, I don't know, it's still better than pumpkin spice. It's a conspiracy, man. I'm you telling go in, you. In, into the, the food store, they got end cap on end cap featuring nothing but pumpkin spice shit. It's like, yeah, it kind of works as a muffin because, right. again, you're putting these other spices in there. Sure. But pumpkin spice, yeah, creamer it's, for the coffee. and Which is nothing to do with pumpkins. Nothing. 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 Pumpkin uh, spice bark instead of regular like brownie bark and right. all that. Next, it oh, and it, of course is already an Oreo flavor. Oh dear lord! Because everything is now except like ramen noodles. That'll be the next one. You know, if I go to my local dispensary <laughs> and they have pumpkin spice weed, I'm going to lose Dude, my no, shit. There I'm has to, to be pumpkin spice weed out there. I don't there. doubt it's coming. I don't doubt. And it's I'm just coming glad at that all. conveniently I can hate that too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. I'm with you on that one. So I'm thinking, you know, notwithstanding <laughs> that input, something more along the lines of what we normally do. I'm a little more Halloween. Yeah, a little yeah, more right. Halloween than that. And now for something completely different. Is uh, something about, say, movies. Yes. Um, such as. Yes. Our own personal opinion. Okay. Of the three most. Well, terrifying movies I like you've it. ever seen. I like it. And different, because I think once before we did, you know, top three scariest, whatever. Sure. In this light, which is, again, why I like this topic, right. we don't care about anybody else. No. Just us. What Your scared the shit experience. out of us? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, let's do three each. What do you I got? Like it. Why don't I you like lead it. off for a change? Well, you know, when I'm thinking back, um, I have to cite, and this, this, you know, you mentioned frightening. Bam, this hits me immediately. Mm -hmm. The original 1978 Halloween. All right, all right. Freak me the Fuck out, man! It like the the, the, the music, the uh, the okay. theme music that he had coming, and Carpenter with his music. It's oh just my God, so seriously. much with so little. And you know, this guy <laughs> so so was a student of Alfred Hitchcock and mm -hmm. situational stuff, and just like scaring the hell out of you with that quick, right? You know, uh, that made you jump out of your seat. So that's what did it for you, then yeah. the shock. Well, there was very little gore in uh -huh. that original film. I think you know since then. It, it is kind of degenerated with the slashing and the blood sure. and all this other Bending stuff. Bending people in half, things yeah, like that. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> the inhuman strength of Michael Myers. But, man, that ending sequence when Donald Pleasant shoots him like three times, he goes right. out the window, uh -huh. and Pleasant runs over the window, and he's gone. Right. There's no body there. There is probably no single moment um, in cinematic history that I've witnessed that was more frightening than that. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, my God, you know? He's on the loose. Right. You know, you can't kill this bastard. You can't kill him. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that that stands out in my mind when you mentioned Friday. That's just boom. That right there. Interesting so, take. Yeah. Interesting take. So what do you got, Johnny? Well, uh, I guess coming up from descending order. Okay. Um, my number three. Yeah. Uh, which you're going to say, well, how come you didn't pick the first one? But I'm going <laughs> to go with Poltergeist 2. All right. 
because of that creepy ass old man. Yeah. Who was on death's door when he did that role. Yes. And just, I mean, he, once he's on the screen, you can't take your eyes off him. This is true. You're gonna die in there. All of you. You are gonna die. You know, and he's just knocking at the door. Cause I'm smart. I, I can uh, recount like every line that guy has in that yeah. movie. I speak to people time to time oh, here yeah. and there. Well, it was kind of like with the with the <laughs> with the sequel. They took like the things that they did right with the first one, yes. and they really, really, yep. really delved into them in the second one. The second one was yep. far scarier than the and first. And even though there was like an introduction of slight elements of camp with little Tangina, the, yep. the yep. you know. Mythic Midget and Will Sampson as the, the token Indian. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the way they fleshed out the story of where the, the ghost came from in Poltergeist 1. Oh, yeah. And again, just that creepy ass old man. Yeah. I still remember that song. God is in oh, his man. holy temple. Oh, and Craig man. T. Nelson yep. coughing up the tequila worm. And <laughs> yeah. Just so good. So oh, good. Oh, man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Good stuff. That's my number good three. Stuff. Good call. Good call. <laughs> All right. Um, my number two. Does go right to the master himself, Alfred Hitchcock. All right. Uh, I am going to cite the 1963 classic, The Birds. Interesting and choice. I did not know this until I did due diligence, did a little mm. research. This was actually based on a real-life incident that occurred in California, I think it was in 1961. Mm-hmm. And Hitchcock, being the master that he was, took it and made a movie out of it. But apparently in this this Oceanside community, uh, seagulls were poisoned by bad algae mm-hmm. and started attacking people. Hmm. And Hitchcock took that idea and obviously blew it up. Sure, sure. And that's just, I mean, the idea of birds pecking people's eyes out. Yeah. You know, and people coming in after the fact and finding these dead bodies without eyes and leaving to your imagination mm. what the hell went down. Or the scenes where people were under siege and they were in houses and the birds are trying to get in. Yeah. It's just like birds. You know? <laughs> and let's preface this with if you believe birds exist. This is true, because birds are not real. They're not they're not they're real. They're not, not sure. Real, you know? <laughs> and yes, if you've watched or listened to a few episodes of the podcast, you know what we're referencing. Yes, that's a we're, throwback. There. Yes, it is. It is. And and we're gonna assume our audience is intelligent, so we're not gonna we're not gonna have to flush that one out. But uh, yes, birds are not real. But damn it, the birds Masterful, yeah, masterful horror. Well, I tell you what, your first two have been uh, very erudite, well thought out. Thank you, sir. Classics of, Thank of, you very of much. horror. What do you got? Well, I feel like mine are so fringe. Nah. Yeah. Well, my number two again. Right. A lot of people can say, "Well, damn, what, what was he delighted by the first one?" <laughs> but I gotta say, um, for sure, just oh my god, did they just do that? Well, next to my first choice, at okay. Least. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Human Centipede Two. Ooh. Because there is a, a scene in there, which I won't even recount on the, on, on the air, because that oh, might get us dude, a you, graphic you, rating. You don't have to. I just got chills. Yeah. It's like oh. everything that was horrendous about the first one, they upped the ante. You know, just put it this way. The first one had three people that were a human centipede. I think the goal for the second one was 30. I mean, you're one screwed up little kid. Do you understand? Wow. And yeah, there's, for the people that have seen it, I will just say, it's the scene where the pregnant lady gets away or tries to get away in the Mercedes and hits the gas and yeah, yeah, that. If you've seen it, you know it. I watched it with grown ass men who uh, ran out the room throwing up. Yes, so that's the only pedigree it needs. Yeah, it's one of those movies you just get through. You know, you just get yeah. through it. But yeah. yeah, and I having just, lived, ugh. you know, a, a pretty interesting life and seen some shit that would probably make your skin crawl in real life, watching something where I say to myself. Who's the sick bastard that I thought know. this up? I know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's incredible when you're watching a movie and you know it's a movie and you know it's cinema and fantasy mm-hmm. and it's special effects and blah, blah, blah. And it still scares the living shit out of you right. and makes you nauseous. <laughs> That's stunning. That's amazing. That's yep. Wow. So that was my base yeah. number two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I need a moment to recover here. <laughs> so what's All your crowning right. achievement? Of my number terror? one, I think this is like the indisputable heavyweight champion of all time. Scare the living hell out of you for even watching it. It has all the basic elements of horror with the church and Satan and everything else. <laughs> 
Um, I don't think it's possible to top this one. I am, of course, referring to the 1973 classic. You know what she did? The Exorcist. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty much, most people would agree that's top of the mountain yeah. right there. Maybe just, Jaws would sometimes challenge it, but yeah, I you, mean, like you said, it's got everything. Yeah, I mean, the omen kind of flirts with it, with the true, religious true. connotations Well, that was like a thing but, in the 70s, probably after the success yeah. of The Exorcist. They were mm-hmm. like, how else can we scare the shit out of people? Literally. With a choir in the background. Yeah, you know, like, take these classic <laughs> elements of existence, like the Bible and mm. evil and Satan and whatnot, and then you got the kid who's projectile vomiting and her hair, head is <laughs> twisting around, and it's just like... Who the hell came up with this? Right. You know, this was this was the derivative of a sick mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just, I mean, it is, again, you say the exorcist, I just get a non-voluntary reactive chill. It's like, blah, right. Right. you know? Just one of those films. A masterpiece. And I, I will say, like, as an honorable mention, um, me as well as many people didn't care for the second one. No. I saw the third one in the theater with a buddy of mine when it came out. All right. And, you know, overall... Again, it did. It was much better than the second. Didn't live up to the third. Yeah. But there is a scene in a hospital when they they know a killer is running around with a basically a pair of giant shears cutting off people's heads. Yeah. And this nurse, it's late at night in the hospital. All the lights are low, and she's right. just peeking her head in every every guest room and walking down the hallway. Yeah. And you're kind of like, all right, well, this is probably going to fade to black at some point and go to the next scene. Right. And she's just peeking in the last door. She walks in the room, and then with like boom, 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 Tiffany drums. Here comes the killer right behind her <laughs> oh, with the, no. the shears spread wide open. Oh. Me and my friend jumped out of our seats. <laughs> oh, I'm just man. like, that just made it worth the price of ignition. There uh, you go. Must be ignition. Bang. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right there. <laughs> man, it's it's amazing when you. When you see it coming, yep. you know it's going to happen, and it still makes you freak. And you one know? of the fun things about uh, social media in terms of YouTube is now, yeah. as we describe these things, people at home, you can go right to YouTube oh, totally. and search yeah. any of the things we've mentioned on, on these movies, and I guarantee you someone has that scene just yeah. by itself. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So for my number one, yes, again, it's, it, it's kind, kind of fringe, but anybody who's seen it will probably agree with me. Uh, a little cinematic gem called Bone Tomahawk. Oh, you told me about this film. Oh, my God. I think for a couple years running, it was voted, this particular scene I'll I'll reference, was voted the uh, most horrific thing on cinema ever. (laughs) (laughs) And Bone Tomahawk plays out kind of like a Western. You know, that's and that is an accomplishment. Sick though it may be, that is an accomplishment. Because they lull you into thinking you're watching... A somewhat interesting Western. You got Kurt Russell in the lead. Right. Um, there's some other well-known actors in it. It escapes my my recall right now. But you find out in the last maybe quarter of the movie yeah. that the townsfolk that were being kidnapped weren't kidnapped by just renegade Indians with, with an axe to grind, right. a tomahawk to grind. Oh, my goodness. But they were kidnapped by cannibalistic albino Jacked up on steroids, Indians. Yeah, bad <laughs> enough to be albino, but to be cannibalistic on top of that. Yes, wow. and once again, it's it's indescribable. But the scene that transpires will scar you for life. And again, myself um, having watching, yeah, I, I've seen Cheshian terrorists saw off a Russian soldier's head with a rusty butter knife, and it did not affect me as this particular oh. scene. Oh. And bone tomahawk. Dude, I've never even seen it, and just your description, I think, has scarred me for life. And I, I definitely did the double hard swallow on that one Ugh. because it was like, oh, oh my god, <laughs> oh man. And it just gets worse from there, and it leaves you just like hollow and sad. Now, was this a scene with with Aaron Eckhart you were telling me about? No, no, that was. Um, I think that movie was called The Missing. Oh, okay. Where they just showed for a split second, um, Aaron Eckhart. The character he had portrayed was burned alive in, in, a, in a leather sack he over a cooked. fire. Okay, yeah. yeah, and it was an example um, that we were talking about that sometimes what you don't see in a movie is scarier than yes. if they showed you right up front. Yeah, because you know, it yep. rise on your conscience. Yeah, in your imagination. Yep. Yeah. I think you had some uh, some honorable mention ones in there too. I didn't did. You? I did. There were a couple of films that that absolutely remarkable. Um, first and foremost, uh, Angel Heart. Mm-hmm. The uh, the 1987 film with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro. Um, De Niro made a great devil. Interpret mm-hmm. that what you will. That was when Mickey Rourke was... Still at, Mickey on, Rourke. On top of his game. <laughs> you know, which is a shame what, 
you know, where yeah. his career went from there. But, you know, at that point in time, and Lisa Bonet's turn mm-hmm. just was shocking. Just sure. absolutely shocking considering she was a Cosby kid. I remember how concerned Bill Cosby was. Uh, he didn't want to comment yeah, on it. No, no. Bill was, yeah. Well, I guess this is what I can't drug. <laughs> Little did we know. <laughs> Little did we know. But and then the other one, and I, I will attribute this to you know being a child at the time and having read the book prior to, but uh, the uh, 1979 miniseries of Salem's Lot, mm. the Stephen King classic, yep. uh, scared the living shit out of me at the you that, and a that, good many other people, yeah, and you know, <laughs> Hutch, you know, David Soul. <laughs> yes. You know, and of course, James Mason at his creepy best. Totally. You know, like that scene when James Mason picks up the guy and yes. just like marches him down the hallway and boom, Steers right on the him antlers. On the antlers. Yeah. yeah. You didn't see that the James Mason had that right? in him and that like, <laughs> like permanently scarred you from, from there forward. For every time he, James Mason appeared on the screen, mm-hmm. you're like, oh my God, it's that dude again. Right. You know, it's Captain Nemo. Yeah. He's going to skewer somebody on a freaking <laughs> antler. Jesus. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, I think the you know one of if not the best interpretation screen interpretations of a Stephen King novel, mm. and uh, and yeah, I have a you know a fetish for vampires, so that right. just that just hit yeah. Me we also uh, we found it out behind the scenes today, folks, that Mike is a vampire guy, yeah, and I'm a werewolf guy, yeah. Just you know, you know, shocking anybody yeah, that knows right? us. <laughs> that, you know. That's yeah, we had to be different monsters, <laughs> but monsters all the same. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So yeah, do you have any any? Honorable mentions in your case? I mean, there's, you know, Jaws is what it is. Sure. You know, but uh-huh. that's probably because I just have a pre existing fear of deep, dark water. Indeed. Um, and things eating you. you yeah. Know, anytime we're yeah. not at the top of the food <laughs> chain, that's frightening, you know? And speaking of that, there was a movie out recently with Idris Elba, uh, Prey, I think it was called. Okay. And basically, uh, he's on safari and there's a rogue lion that uh, attacks him and his two daughters. And the guy from District 9 is his friend and guide. I, it looks like he gets eaten based oh, on the trailers. Yeah. But yeah, he's fighting off this, this rogue lion. And I remember you and I had talked about um, The Ghost in the Darkness. Yes. With yes. Uh, Val Kilmer and, and Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas. Yep, yep. And based on a two story. Yes. Yeah. And then I remembered a little known uh, movie. Damn it! Now I'm gonna forget the name of it. It was it's from the '70s. It starred Tom Skerritt. Okay, and I think this was also loosely based on a real event. Uh-huh. But in this one, it's it's an American family that's living in Africa, right. and it's during a drought, and a whole pride of lions attacks this family compound, and they've got like tennis courts. They're well-to-do family. Right. But the thing that was amazing about this was that for realism. Because you're watching this, and you're like, oh, my God, are these lines actually eating these people? <laughs> well, yes and no. Oh, no. Because the producers of the film for the special effects had yeah. stuffed people's clothing with raw meat, oh, like Jesus. dummies, but made of actual flesh. Yeah. And yes, the lines would descend on them, rip it apart with all the blood and everything, and you'd think they're eating these Jesus. people. Jesus. And it's traumatic. They eat all like the servants of the house. Some of the kids get eaten. <laughs> And it's so off the rails. And I wish the hell I could remember a bitter harvest, maybe it was. All right. But yeah. So that's that's flirting with disaster. You do that. That's great yeah. with the producers. That, yes. I wouldn't want to do that with lions. And that's I was just, trying to like a good idea. <laughs> and I was know? trying to like describe this to two of my more jaded friends right. who've seen every kind of movie and everything and nothing bothered them. Yes. And I'm like, well, like everything, just go on YouTube and you can look it up, you know? Right. right. And my one buddy, John, was like, Dude, are they like eating that guy? <laughs> and I did some research in Wikipedia, and that's when I saw that they used flesh Oy. stuffed into like clothing. Oh, that seems like such a bad idea. Yeah, so you, you got it the nail on the head. For me, it's yeah, don't like getting eaten. Do no. not wish to get eaten. No, and then by you know ceremoniously pooped out later on because yeah. that's even worse. Well, you know, the human mentality, <laughs> the the human mind has trouble wrapping itself around the idea that we are not the top of the food chain. Yeah. You know, and like I said, you, the, the idea of a shark, you know, when you're in the water coming up from below and, mm-hmm. and like starting to chew away, it just the human brain can't conceive of that. It's yeah. like, this can't not be happening. Yeah. You know? We but like to think we're at the top of the food chain until we we're not. Until we're not, exactly. <laughs> Yikes. So there's that. And look, it's time for the third channel. Oh, gym. all right. And we're going to really switch things up now. Talk about throwing on the e-brake. Yes. Um, 
as most of everybody knows, I'm a big fan of Rockabilly music. Indeed. And we have our, our trademark show on Big Boom Radio known as the Rockabilly Rumble. It's the flagship. And last week, we lost um, somebody of, of some import to the whole Rockabilly genre. Okay. Mr. Robert Gordon, who some would say was the part of the second generation of, of Rockabilly after you know Elvis and Sun Records and all those guys. Okay. And... Um, an interesting snippet I had discovered when researching him and then trying to decide what song to play. Yeah. The uh, famous Bruce Springsteen song, Fire, yes. was actually, of course, written by Bruce Springsteen and given to Robert Gordon to do first before anybody wow. because uh, Bruce wanted Elvis to sing it. Okay. And that once he died, a couple of weeks later, he's like, well, I still want somebody to do this. And he picked Robert Gordon because he felt he sounded the most like Elvis. Right. And with his passing... It really kind of passes the rest of the mantle on to the three still surviving members of the Stray Cats okay. and that, that whole sound. Yep. Um, so I thought it'd be apropos to play one of his songs. Nice. And we listened to a whole bunch of them. We did. And we came upon a rockabilly classic, which had also been done several times. Uh, the name of the song is Red Hot. And in this version, Robert Gordon is working with someone he collaborated with often, Mr. Link Ray. The legend. Right, famous in his own right, and some would say the progenitor of modern heavy metal. Truth yes. be told. Yeah. So let's play this for you folks. It's a real quickie, like, like I like my songs. <laughs> Two and a half, three minutes, that's it. And we'll be back in a couple more minutes with a wrap-up and some things and stuff. My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Yeah! My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Well, she ain't got money, but man, she's really got a lot. Well, I got a gal, six feet four, sleep in the kitchen with her feet out the door. But my gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Yeah! Sweet rocking and rolling. And look, any song that makes use of the phrase doodly squat <laughs> is <laughs> no okay doubt. in my book. All right. Okay in my book. Yeah, yeah that was uh, like 1978. Those rockability, man. Yeah. That's, that's fun. That's just fun. Yep. And a lot of his hits that he had, like that, or, or Some Way, Some Day, or, uh, or like the aforementioned Fire, he, had, he charted on the Billboard 100 in 1977, 78, when there was very little rock and roll, with the exception of maybe the Stones or Kiss. Everything was disco. Hey, anytime you can chart on yeah. the Billboard Hot 100, I don't care what genre you're in. You know, you take into account the number of bands out there, the 
amount of music out there. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have had this discussion. People make fun of one-hit wonders. Well, you know, that's one hit more than about 99% of the other bands out there have. Right. You know, you hit the Hot 100, you have accomplished something. Yep, and no one could ever take it away from you. So thank you, Robert Gordon, for all the music and the influence. Rest in peace, brother. And then we come up, um, you know, to the end of our show, but we have a, another PSA of sorts. Indeed. Without any expletives in it. Yes. Uh, we got Halloween. Yay, one of my favorite holidays of all time. All right. Are you saying we can't? I can't drop an F-bomb in the middle of this. I can't. No, we're doing so good. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) So Halloween, be fucking careful, right? (laughs) Go out, make sure, you know. Let me have a Diablo sandwich of Dr. Pepper. Make it fast. I'm in a goddamn hurry. Yeah, you're you're Um, well lit in your path. I resent that you beat me (laughs) in that one. And at the same time, yeah, almost be, be, be safe, yeah, and, and exhibit some common Festive. sense, man, yeah. And uh, at the same time, uh, something almost equally as scary as Halloween generally Indeed. elections, yes, that'll be the following week. Yeah, better go out and register if you haven't registered. If you're one of these idiots that says, "Well, I don't vote," you know what? Yeah, you're I hate idiot. those people. Yeah. Uh, what's the what's the use? Yeah, yeah, you know, with John and I are on opposite ends of the political spectrum, but this is something we we do agree on. If you don't vote, you're an asshole. And we also agree, never take candy from politicians. This is also true. Talk about razor blades. I'm telling you. So, yeah. So, on that note, happy Halloween. Yes. Happy election. Be safe going out there. Do your civic duty. And that's it for this show. And as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. And we will see you all on the flip side. <laughs>